0: Welcome to the Gate World Podcast. This is episode number 39 of the Gate World Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about the Sci Fi Channel's long running franchise, Stargate. Today, we've got uh, an interesting topic, I think. We've been alluding to this one for a while, and we're finally going to get to it. Advanced technology on Stargate. When is it a storytelling device? When is it maybe a crutch? We'll also have a preview of GateWorld's upcoming interview with Amanda Tapping herself. Plus lots of news, site features, and listener mail to get to. So David, let's get to it. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for April 21st, 2009. So the first little bit of news that has caused a bit of a spark on GateWorld this week. Robert Cooper and Brad Wright told fans on stage at uh, the Vancouver convention earlier this month that Stargate Universe is going to have some gay characters. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think of the news? And then what do you think of this discussion that's been bubbling on GateWorld? We've had so far um, over 150 comments in less than 24 hours.
1: I, I'm disappointed at uh, how some people are just absolutely wigging out over this. I'm not disappointed at people who are are concerned but are... are um, remaining very very cautious but still going to watch the show i'm disappointed with all these people who are saying well that's just the end of it that's the end of it for me there's going to be there's going to be female on female characters or male on male characters and there's going to be all this sex and so i am not watching we haven't even seen three promos yet come on and of course if you object to it philosophically or spiritually then there's really nothing that i can say to stop you for that but um
0: well, now that's that's wow. a very interesting point. Let's let's uh, go through the news here. There's there are minor spoilers in this news story, so skip ahead a few minutes if you don't want to hear it. But uh, the the we do know one particular character, not because uh, the producers revealed it, but because it's come through uh, the casting process, uh, and it's Camille Ray, Ming Na's character, who is a forty-something Asian woman, which is uh, the the spoilers indicate that the relationship that we are going to see her character in back on Earth is uh, a long-term, committed relationship, and it's not, you know, titillating, hot she, girl-on-girl action.
1: This is a relationship that's going to mean something to her to the point
0: where if you had a
1: chance to write one letter before you died, you know, who would you write that one letter to? I get the vibe that that's kind of what the poem is going to be about. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I am open.
0: Well, Rob on stage, let me read his quote. He said, uh, this decision goes towards our goal to make the characters on universe as complex and complicated and realistic and identifiable as we can to as many people as we can. And that's not just a desire for ratings. He said, that's a desire to portray humanity and make a show that is saying something about who we are. So now you bring up this point about uh, religious beliefs, about homosexuality in general. Does that affect whether or not uh, it's it's okay to you or whether it's something you want to see on television I mean as a conservative and as a person of faith I agree with what Rob is saying here that if you want to portray uh, realistic human characters then well you know gay people exist in the world Uh, so if you want to make your show uh, an accurate reflection of humanity I think you need to have uh, gay characters just as much as you would need to have characters representing various ethnicities
1: I am largely conservative in my—not largely, mostly, um, but this is one of those where I am staunchly liberal in in terms of fairness and in terms of the more important desire to love rather than judge. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm in some ways excited about this because I've done a lot of reading on the subject since the news came out a couple weeks ago at the convention where Star Trek, you know, which is the king of all, you know, equality, never could dare— bring in a gay character they mm-hmm. could not gene said no to it rick repeatedly said no to it rick Berman, and now stargate is doing it and it is bold it is risky and it should be very entertaining to watch not just on the screen but watch this whole situation unfold yeah. as it already has it's exploded like a firecracker on the website Off
0: screen as well there there are other science fiction shows that have done uh, gay and lesbian relationships well, I think. Again, uh, we're watching Buffy right now. And uh, a, gay, oh, Buffy has gay a gay relationship in that with a major character is is a serious, ah. ongoing, and, and well-done part of the show. So, you know, I can put my religious views aside because I want an accurate portrayal of the way that humanity is. And I think mm. that this can make for interesting character development uh, and make... Mm. Uh, this character of Camille into into a more interesting three dimensional person.
1: I think so too. I think so. A series like Will and Grace largely offend me because oh, it's, yeah. Hate it, it cheapens Hate and it. really it just it just takes advantage of the situation. You know, it's not it's not done gracefully. And I hope that it's done gracefully on Stargate. <laughs> Amanda Tapping has been confirmed
0: for a guest spot on Stargate Universe. Do we we know which episode? The article says that we do not yet know the episode. I would not put your eggs into the basket of the multiple episodes. Let's assume that it's one until we hear otherwise.
1: As long as it's just not Amanda Tapping at the last five seconds going Atlantis or Destiny. (laughs) That was letters from Pegasus. That's right. We're good. And they put her in the opening credits for Crying Out Loud, Amanda Tapping and Gary Jones, both They're in the last 10 seconds. Yeah.
0: Well, that's exciting. She's going to be on the show. Uh, we've already confirmed that Richard Dean Anderson, Michael Shanks, and Gary Jones are all going to be on the show. Uh, RDA for multiple episodes. All we need is Christopher Judge and Anna Louise Plowman. That would be nice. That would be ni- Anna Louise Plowman, where did that
1: come from? A desire to see Anna Louise Plowman. Okay, there you go.
0: There's more casting news in this Tapping story. Uh, one thing that I... As, a, as an Omnipedia nerd, found interesting was we finally got the first name for Senator Armstrong, which is Christopher McDonald's character. Uh, it's Senator Alan Armstrong. He's the father of Chloe. And then uh, more casting news is veteran actor Carlo Rota has been cast as the head of the IOA. And Janelle Monet, I, I do not recognize either of these names here. Have you seen anything that they've done? Janelle Monet is, uh, is a recording artist, not an actress. Oh, so okay. she will actually perform a couple of her songs in an episode, and it, I I would guess it's probably going to be like if you've ever watched Smallville or any any WB or CW shows that use recording artists, it's it's like you know the characters walk into a bar and you get ten seconds of music from the stage and then they go into the scene. Got it. That's kind of what I'm guessing Janelle Monae is going to do. She's going to do some kind of an IOA cocktail party? <laughs> uh, you never know. <laughs> Carlo Rota will play Carl Strom, the head of the International Oversight Advisory, and he is a London-born actor. He's been in a ton of, of shows, 24, uh, Lefemme, Femme Nikita, Queer as Folk, Traitors. He's in the movie Saw 5. He was on Shark. Uh, and Total Recall 2070, which was one of my favorite shows that uh, SG-1 was paired with back on Showtime back in the day.
1: Stargate SG-1 novel Hydra by Fandemonium has been nominated for a Scribe Award. As an example of excellence in media tie-in fiction, the novel was written by Holly Scott and Jamie Duncan. And it's not the first Stargate title to be nominated for the Scribe Award. Stargate Atlantis Casualties of War, written by Elizabeth Christensen,
0: won the same award in 2008. Congratulations on the excellence. And speaking of awards, Stargate and Sanctuary have both picked up a grand total between them of 38 Leo nominations this year. Shorthand version, the Leos are the Canadian equivalent of the Emmys. They're for Canadian produced television. They don't have anything to do with Leo the Lion from NGM? I think that might be a coincidence i don't know i'll look okay. into it for you. because
1: i looked at the logo and leo it looks like a lion a roaring lion
0: you think so... it's a series of awards for television shows produced by mgm
1: <laughs> that's the first thing that occurred to me actually i was like wow so, isn't this narcissistic
0: yeah uh stargate continuum got 11 nominations including direction go martin wood screenwriting brad wright Uh, Cinematography, picture editing, sound, sound editing, production design, costume, visual effects, uh, all that great stuff. And then uh, in the actor categories, Michael Shanks picked up a lead performance nomination and Amanda Tapping a lead female performance nomination. So 11 noms for Continuum. Atlantis picked up 17 nominations, including Best Program. That's Uh, crazy. Rob Cooper for Directing for Vegas screenwriting three nominations for remnants the shrine and the queen uh two nominations for cinematography more for picture editing sound sound editing production design costume design these are in the tv category so they're not up against continuum uh tv mm-hmm. versus film uh Makeup vis effects and then david hewlett has been nominated for a leo for his performance in the shrine and jewel state mm. for tracker and then if you're keeping up with our friends at Sanctuary, that's ten nominations for Sanctuary, including uh, directing, screenwriting, picture editing, makeup. They do good makeup over there. Visual effects. And then uh, Ryan Robbins, uh, our friend who was uh, Layden Redeem on Atlantis. He plays Henry Foss on Sanctuary. He picked up a guest performance nomination. And Christopher Heyerdahl was also nominated for supporting performance. And, last but not least, Amanda Tapping. Gate World features.
1: Our interview with Brad Wright and Rob Cooper is now up on the website.
0: I will be interested to see the uh, response to this interview. It's fresh off the press. We just did it uh, in mm-hmm. Brad's office a couple weeks ago, and we had less time than we usually get with those guys, but we're very appreciative for the time they gave us. Uh, but the interview itself, I again, I'll say, I think I said previously, it's kind of general. In mm-hmm. terms of it is very general talk about universe in general because it's i think for their their uh promotional cycle it's a little bit early in the year to talk about specific mm-hmm. details and specific episodes too much not to mention the fact that uh we only got to had time to ask a handful of the questions that we that we went there with but uh, i hope people like
1: it i hope people like it i hope that people don't just open up the interview and start listening just looking for a fight because mm. that's that's what happens an awful lot. People people deliberately go into interviews with the producers just looking for a fight. You know, mm. actors are okay. We love we all love the actors. We see them every week. We love them. Yep. Producers are just as much people too. And when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, it's a television show. I mean, I, I was at the I was at the convention and there was a woman boycotting the uh, Brad and
0: Rob panel. It's a television show for crying out loud. It's a crazy year, man. Uh, Atlantis getting cancelled and and the controversy surrounding SGU and and the sort of show it's going to be and how different it's it's supposed to be. Man, it's a crazy crazy year. GateWorld also has a rockin' new photo gallery that you, Mr. David, put a lot of work into and I thank you. This is our photo gallery from Creation Entertainment's fan tours of the Stargate sets up in Vancouver. During the convention, they invited us to go along with them and take some pictures. And then uh, fans uh, can go and take pictures on the sets, but they're only allowed to use them for personal use. They're not allowed to put them on the internet. Uh, we were able to secure very special permission from MGM, and thanks to all those guys and gals, to share some of these with you.
1: I uh, was on the way home from the uh, from the convention, and I decided to pop an email off to one of my buddies in MGM's marketing division. And I said, Carol, do you... Uh... Do you think that you could get clearance for this? I mean, I know, I know that uh, we can't publish photos online, but can we? And uh, I sent her a list of proposed photos, and they reviewed and accepted every last one. So uh, it's a really special treat that they've allowed us to present, and uh, that's up on the site now.
0: There's a little over 50 photos up here. Some of them have me and David in them. There's this really sweet one at the end where uh, we managed to get the gate turned on. So we're standing in front of an active wormhole. That was awesome. I was very tempted just to just go through, but we hadn't sent a map, so who knows what was on the other side. So look at those photos and see if you can find out uh, what is different about Stargate Command that's been uh, refashioned a little bit to serve as the Icarus base in the universe premiere.
1: Save time. What is the same?
0: My one hundredth interview
1: for Gate World, one hundredth solo interview. That interview is going to be up on the website later this week. Amanda in all her glory will shine on Gateworld once again. For my one hundredth. Our first video interview with her. You are wearing the hat of executive producer, unlike you did on Stargate, you know, and John and, and Rob and Brad would would run through the hoops with the networks. And now you kinda have to do that mm-hmm. with, with sci fi. Yeah. Are you, Is that teaching you a lot of lessons? Are you having a great deal of more respect for those? Not not that you didn't have before, but I have a huge amount of respect for them. them.
2: Yeah, and in fact, (laughs) I went up to Brad uh, and Rob uh, and Joe. How did you do it? Well, I just said, I'm sorry for every stupid question I ever came into your office and asked you when I was an actor. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really sorry. You're constantly barraged with questions, and you are dealing with a lot of different factors. I mean, on Stargate, it was MGM, it was sci fi, it was the Canadian network, it was, you know. Plus the production, plus the cast, mm-hmm. plus the crew, plus everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. So you're and you're writing scripts, and you're dealing how the with do the creative. How do you get it all done? Yeah. And your post production, and your pre production. So, uh, yeah, I always had a huge amount of respect for them. I just don't think I quite understood what they did, mm-hmm. uh, the full extent of what they did. And now I do, and I go, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, the phone calls alone. The fact that, that I don't think Martin Damien and I ever really get lunch. Because we're always on a call with the network or we're on a conference call with somebody about something or we're having a concept meeting or a meeting with a department head about, you know, the next episode. There's never a break. And, um, yeah, so I have a lot of respect for executive producers and less respect for actors, surprisingly. (laughs) (laughs) The main discussion.
0: Our main discussion topic today is something that we've actually been main discussion talking about for a couple, several months now. Man, how long have we been doing this podcast? A long time. If you are a long-time listener of the podcast, you have heard us talk about uh, our opinion of advanced technology in Stargate and how uh, sometimes it's a storytelling device and sometimes maybe it's used as a crutch uh, for storytelling. So let's actually devote a whole show to this.
1: I like advanced technology. It's pretty. Well, hey, it's um, sci-fi. It's sci-fi. You know, but um, it, it is generally used... To progress the story, or slow it down, or it, it's it's generally designed for a specific purpose. They don't just throw it in because it looks cool on Stargate. It is designed to facilitate story, and it can be used and misused uh, in terms of how it helps the story along. Sometimes it's really transparent. You can see advanced technology after advanced technology after advanced technology. You know, we start an early part of the season. Oh no, the R.I., or, oh no, the coal warriors, you know, here's the new big baddie. They're unstoppable. Uh, run They're for your life. They're unstoppable. And then a few episodes later, we invent the dis- the coal disruptor or the prior inhibitor. You know, so we have a few episodes of, uh, and then we have, and we get them taken care of. So that's where my frustration comes from. You know, when it's a nice balance, um, I don't tend to notice it, and I tend to kind of move on, and, 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 uh, be impressed and yay that's cool but uh when when you get things like the call disruptor or the ori inhibitor or god forbid the dakara super weapon which takes care of the replicators like like that it's a little bit more noticeable in my opinion some people don't care you know it's an yeah. action hour we get a bunch of visual effects
0: that's cool to them and i envy them so much that they don't <laughs> care because that is really really nice we are very much nitpicking here we uh, are nitpicking. and we're very mu- i think monday morning quarterbacking on the four writers but yeah, it's, it's the the coal warrior in Evolution parts one and two in season seven that really I think started to make me think about this, just because uh, what you said. They were introduced as very unstoppable. That was how they were set up, and they were introduced sort of as Anubis's replacement of the Jaffa, because mm-hmm. the Jaffa were so big and butch and cool in the movie. But over the course of seven years of the TV show, they you know give them a stiff breeze and they'll fall over.
1: Exactly. Oh, I know. Just shoot a couple of shots of the P90 at them and they fall over.
0: But we introduced the Cold Warriors and then it's, it's literally a handful of episodes later we have a gun that can kill them in a shot or two. In this case, I don't think it is a crutch. I think it's an interesting storytelling device because the whole premise of evolution is that Anubis has found this piece of ancient technology, Telchak's device, which animates mm-hmm. dead tissue uh, and used it to create this thing. So if we can find this device then we can figure out a way to counteract that energy. I think I think it mm-hmm. works in this case. Yeah, one of the
1: problems that the, the bad guys have is that they they leave their Achilles heels lying around. It's one of my largest problems with Stargate Continuum, you know. Hmm. Ball in, in timeline A, Ball creates a time machine, which allows him to go back and set things exactly how he wants it. But no, he couldn't leave well enough alone, because in Timeline B, he has to recreate the time machine, even though he has everything as he wants it, right. which gives SG-1 the opportunity to use it against him. Had he not reinvented it, which I wouldn't have remade it, he wouldn't have had a problem. But no. It's television. It's it's a story. The characters have got to survive, and they've, they've got to... Uh, They've got to make it to the next episode.
0: Well, what we've talked about a lot in the past is the fact that the, the classic seasons of SG-1, which we're now going through in our Stargate history series, I don't know, it felt more gritty, more realistic, more more like mm-hmm. us, because we didn't mm-hmm. have ships and we didn't have uh, all these advanced technologies and, and even allies necessarily. Mm-hmm. So... When you went through the gate, you were really putting your neck out there. The mandate of the Stargate program was to go out and find advanced technology to aid in the defense of Earth.
1: Absolutely. I completely recognize that. This
0: comes up especially in episodes like The Other Side in Season 4 with the Urandans. And uh, when we find out that the Urandans are basically responsible for genocide on their planet we turn on them and make sure that Odo gets what's coming to him (laughs) (laughs) that was I think a very interesting arc but if if the producers were listening to this I think the first thing they're going to say is the show went for 10 years you can't at some point you have to pay that off if that's the mission of the SGC we have to get some advanced technology at some point we have to get the ability to make our own ships and travel in hyperspace Mm. at some point And, you know, Mm -hmm. that didn't come along until after season six. Most shows don't even go to season six. So, you know, the show had to evolve, didn't it?
1: Absolutely. And I completely understand that, you know, that that, uh, we can't go ten seasons going to a Uranda base and, mm-hmm. uh, f- for dozens of episodes and and having the exact technology that we want denied
0: from us. Sorry, General, we still couldn't get anything.
1: Exactly. You know, they, they would all be fired. <laughs> but because that's not how it went down, what we're discussing here in terms of the crutch is kind of the downside of that. I think there are solutions other than, well, we have an unstoppable new soldier, so we invent the unstoppable laser weapon to combat him you know i mean i would have been frankly much more interested in watching them dodge the super soldier for the next 10 episodes of that season it would have been much more interesting in my book saying oh crap there's nothing that we can shoot that'll stop this guy we just have to kind of avoid him until we can Mm -hmm. get ourselves out of the situation which in my opinion like in evolution 2 when Braytac uses the rings to eject him from the ship, was fantastic. Oh, yeah. And I wish they would have done something like that a few more times because it was really clever.
0: That's a great example of, of clever, using clever to defeat our enemies instead of technology. Um, we just happen to be able to find the right piece of technology out of the box that will defeat the enemy we thought was unstoppable. Optimus Chekhov makes the point that we were just talking about. He says, technology is fundamental, Every time they can mention it, they remind us in the early seasons that the Stargate program exists to gather technology in the defense of the planet. If we weren't getting any better at self-defense, we'd be an insanely slow-paced show, and we'd be failing at the main aim of the SGC.
1: Quaid One says, The addition of alien technologies has not only advanced the storyline of episodes, but the overall arc of the show. The SGC's mission was to seek out new advanced technologies to help aid in the defense of Earth against its enemies the addition of different technologies was crucial to the show so it wouldn't be fair to say they were dependent on technology but the dependence on ships and shields definitely replaced the ingenuity and determination of the SG1 we once knew
0: that's the point i want to make right off the bat is is i am all for getting ships and even you know getting some asgard goodies getting the asgard shields and weapons and transporter technology to a degree although Asgard transporter technology and how we've used it on the show is is an important part of this topic. So let's read Olkesh 47. The only instances of a storytelling crutch that I can think of are in regards to a ship and its Asgard transporters. The Scourge, for example. Actually, I feel that the answer to this question is too similar to the ships versus Stargates discussion from a while back. Uh, And Mm Olkesh is exactly right. That's when this came up, was when we were talking about ships versus Stargates. Uh When we decided to do this as a standalone topic.
1: Give us a break. It's been a while.
0: Transporters, though, coming, coming to the rescue at the last minute. What do you think? Well,
1: it was funny in Camelot. What, what did they call it? Hanging, hanging a lantern on it, showing that the characters recognize what we just saw. Mm-hmm. It's like ah, a cheat. As long as it's done like that and not too frequently, I'm, I'm okay with it. What get me are deus ex machina types of technology like the Atlantis Shield. The Atlantis Shield is the most powerful defense device known in the stargate universe as far as i can tell that thing stays online and protects you until the zpm is dead uh Uh, so if you want to if you want to kill a zpm really quickly shoot a bunch of lasers at the atlanta shield and and your zpm will be drained very soon the shield never had an achilles heel um there was never a, a other than draining power in like two days after constant bombardment first strike exactly
0: and that was only because we had one of them how long would it last if if we had three
1: whatever the amount of time was times three <laughs> it's little things like that but um again you know going back to that point you know at the same time it gives us a lot of cool things to look at and and uh clever ways to get out
0: of situations let's talk about locator beacons
1: locator beacons. You know, As soon as they introduced that one, I said to myself, oh boy, we are going to have to ride around it every single time now. And for the next several episodes, we heard someone saying, we've disabled your locator beacon.
0: Oh, uh, that was coming. Or there's a dampening field, or we can't get a lock, or... There's too much interference. I mean, it's a good idea, and it's the sort of technology you think that, that Stargate Command would devise if they had the technology, but then it becomes a, a speed bump. In writing. It's like the Zatnikatels, you know, that
1: the biggest uh, conceit of all. One shot stuns, two shots kill, three shots disintegrate. Uh, I've always thought that it was really cool, you know. I thought that was cool. When it's attached to something, just how much of whatever it is disintegrates around them. If one box is sitting up against another box, it disintegrates the other box, but it doesn't disintegrate
0: the truck that it's sitting in. I didn't think that was going to work in Season two's 1969, because... Up until that point, I think that we'd only seen it shot at people. I didn't think it was going to work on inorganic matter.
1: But see, the thing is, it needed to work in that episode.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it did. I think it's it's uh, really as we get on towards Season 9 and 10, an arc of truth. Advanced alien technology, all we have to do is find it, and it will solve all our problems. Starting with the Dakara super weapon, with uh, our way of of taking out the replicators in Season 8.
1: I think it started with Atlantis. Atlantis was supposed to solve all of our problems.
0: Well, I like that it didn't.
1: Yeah, I know, but you know, it was kind of the beginning of that. I read a, a really popular thread a long time ago in, in the forum. You know, is Atlantis a failure? You know, in terms of it's the lost city. You know, we must seek out the lost city because it's going to solve all of our problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's outposted in in the episode Lost City in season seven. But uh, yeah, I agree. I, I like that it didn't either.
0: Then season nine, as you mentioned, we get. Okay, first we meet the Priors, and the Priors have super-duper funky, cool powers. And then by the mid-season two-parter, we have an anti-Prior device where we can turn them off.
1: Almost completely. Not not entirely. They overcome it, which I thought was a really cool twist. I wasn't expecting that.
0: Yes. There are a few holes in it. Very good point. And then we, we hear what the Ori are. They're ascended beings. They're the enemies of the Ancients, basically. They're evil Ancients, uh, after fashion. And so they're virtually unstoppable. How do you kill an ascended being? Well, it just so happens that there was an ancient who created a weapon that can kill ascended beings. And so season mm-hmm. 10 yep. became about the hunt for Merlin's weapon. And okay. then the granddaddy of them all is, uh, uh, the Ark of Truth is, has obviously been criticized as sort of the magic fix, the literally the solution. Magic to a box. box. It's a magic box yeah. that all you have to do is open it and point it at the right person, and you win.
1: I remember talking with someone. I said, "Um, what do you think of the, the Ark of Truth? And she says, well, it was okay. I'm like, wasn't it, didn't you find it entertaining? Oh, yeah, it was a bunch of great twists in it, but at the end, you know, it loses momentum because we just push a button and it solves it. I think Rob spoke to that a little bit in an interview that you had with him where, where you know, he only had an hour and a half to wrap up the Ori storyline, so they had to create an Arc of Truth.
0: Yeah, he did. I chatted with Rob right after Arc of Truth came out and asked him some of these, some of these critical questions like is the Arc of Truth sort of, a, of a, a deus ex machina? And this piece of technology, like so many of the others that, that we've named, I think it's not fair to call it a deus ex machina because it fits in the stargate universe and it's set up and they set up things like merlin's weapon uh you know almost a year in advance and then it just becomes about the hunt for it so rob said for example you know this is something that that sg1 has kind of always been about is the hunt for technology it just in these later seasons it becomes about we have a very specific problem We've discovered that there's a very specific solution to it, and we're going out and hunting that piece of technology. Instead of just the general mandate of we've got to go find some stuff to help defend Earth.
1: Well, that's certainly fair.
0: For that reason, I don't think that these sorts of things are are storytelling crutches necessarily, and I realize that in choosing this title for our discussion, um, from a writer's point of view, the word crutch is a bit bit, uh, caustic, a bit antagonistic of a word. Uh, I don't think these are crutches, but I do agree with what your friend said, and it's it's kind of it makes it kind of easy at the end mm-hmm. and you You wish mm-hmm. or I wish as a viewer that the team got to be a little bit more clever and a little bit more creative in their solutions rather than just locating the piece of technology that that some super advanced being or or race invented. My hope was in creation of Adria,
1: Adria would discover. That she was not really an ascended being from the start, and that at some point she would discover that the Ori were going to deny her the right to eventually ascend and uh, and join in their their mm-hmm. sucking of the energy in the Ori galaxy, and that she would eventually turn to our side and, and perhaps fight to the death like Morgan Le Fay did. And I thought that would would have been a terrific twist and and to to a certain extent conventional but much more rewarding than the arc of truth itself you know we would have seen a, a tremendous resolution to her relationship with Vala and it would have made sense you know because mm. the ori let's really think about it the ori probably weren't willing to share their um, their energy with any more entities uh, but they didn't go with that. They made Adria completely complicit all the way up to the end, and um the box
0: solved our problems. I actually had other issues with the Ark of Truth, not that it was that it was uh, an easy fix, although that did disappoint me a bit uh the issues I had was was all the issues surrounding uh the religion of origin and the the beliefs of the doci and the priors um I mean, yeah they're trying to to kill people and enslave worlds and and in that sense it's evil uh but the idea of of brainwashing your religion away because because we believe you're wrong and because you're doing objectively evil things because of your religion we are therefore going to put an end to it that's one of the questions that i i chatted with rob about and that um was um I think left outstanding and unanswered by Arc of Truth is what happens to Origin uh, after Adria and the Ori are gone. Uh, does Origin continue in, in some sort of positive direction to have meaning? Yeah, as a religion, to have to have meaning in the lives of all these people in in the Ori mm-hmm. Galaxy.
1: I think that's one of those that was left deliberately unanswered, and I want appreciate that. I don't need resolution to that. Yeah, uh, I think you can. I think you can take for it that there's going to be some kind of a half resolution at that point. That Tolman's going to become a leader. That he's going, he as someone who was raised in a very New Testament household, you know, where uh, his gods are forgiving and giving and loving. I think you can anticipate something like that as being the ultimate outcome of that storyline.
0: Mac Jackson says, "I never thought of tech being used as a crutch for SG one, at least during the first eight years." I always worry that it may be used as a last-minute save at the end of an impossible situation, but I don't recall that ever happening. You guys have mentioned that you'd rather not have seen them use tech to stop the Ori. What would you have liked to see instead? Good old iron wit and rationale. I
1: thought uh, that Toman's turn in Line in the Sand was actually going to be the beginning of that, where we found members of Origin... Who were much more new to uh, i'm sorry for forgive me for keep on going back to the biblical reference were much more New Testament in their beliefs than Old Testament, interpreting the ori as as uh loving entities, whether or not they were or not uh overrunning and overriding those who were the uh, knives and pitchforks kind of mm. group within the uh, the origin belief.
0: Something of a, a theological reformation within origin.
1: in origin itself, by, by virtue of our presence, by virtue of our influences and interactions with them, you
0: know, maybe there's nothing
1: wrong with what uh, with, uh, what the Milky Way people believe in, you know? Mm. Maybe, maybe our responsibility is to suggest origin to them, but to ultimately let them decide it for it themselves rather than
0: torching them. And when you have all the origon Uh, all the ascended beings and and Adria, that's much more plausible of a situation when you don't have that immediate Mm -hmm. pressure.
1: I have raw. I do not think Stargate uses technology as a crutch. In any show, there will be an episode or two where we get the team out with a new technology just in the nick of time, or use a new technology to beat the bad guys. My opinion is that new technology is fundamental to Stargate because new technology is what the Stargate program started for. Without it, the program would be shut down,
0: especially if there is no threat at the moment. I think that technology is fundamental to the Stargate universe, but I think that good old-fashioned human ingenuity is more what the SGC is about. Something that that you have suggested on the podcast before is that, hey, it's about time to start crippling some of the technology that we have, some of our mm-hmm. ships and our super-duper weapons and I think we both like the fact that the ancient weapons platform was destroyed yes extremely the, the atlantis finale that's the kind of thing that, that I want to see more of. The technology is cool, and it makes sense that over the course of, of twelve years out there that we've gotten this stuff and developed this stuff. but you know let's deliver some handicaps now let's yeah. kind of get back to basics by by having a threat that is so serious that we actually start losing these things. If
1: you can eliminate Midway station and eliminate the ancient weapons platform. Don't tell me that you can't eliminate hyperspace travel, Mm. uh, which I think in terms of classic SG-1 was the biggest downfall of classic SG-1. Now, of Mm. course, the other point is why would we want to eliminate hyperspace travel? It it solves so many problems for us. Well, the Stargate can solve those problems too, while at the same time bringing about a handicap in itself because we can't reach them over distance. Distance is the issue.
0: That's where I think we start getting into the, the area of, of a crutch, where you have something that, that helps you solve problems in crafting a story, uh, that, that you rely on it so much that you stop necessarily uh, thinking about a, about a more clever solution. A minor example is, is just what you said in Evolution Part 2, uh, using the rings to jettison the Coal Warrior. Uh, those little things... I mean, if you've got a transporter on board, then, then it kind of becomes different. If you've got a, uh, an anti-coal warrior gun where you can just open the back door and shoot him, it uh, becomes different. So things like hyperspace travel, I think, uh, and, and the locator chips, I think those can be used as crutches. And the solution to that is get rid of them. And just what you said, handicap yourself and make yourself come up with clever solutions
1: i think that universe by nature of how it has how it has been created is going to have some clever clever handicaps in itself I know that someone is going to get left behind very early in the show when the train starts moving again, when the destiny takes off. Someone is going to get left behind. Otherwise, we're not going to to say to ourselves, oh, you better get back on that destiny because, because it's going to be taking off. No, it's going to be like, dude, you need to get back on the destiny because we lost Colonel Young or we lost whoever it was and we don't want that to happen again. Like with Kowalski, with the ghoul. Um, that's going to be like a really, really great handicap. It's going to deliver an urgency. It's going to be very, very fundamental to the, to the concept of the show. As soon as they have a ship that is at disposal, like a shuttlecraft, which can move at the speed of the destiny and and get us back to where the destiny was, it's all over. Because that is really – they they've, they've designed the show with that handicap, and I think it's really freaking
0: cool. It makes you write creatively, I think. It does. Uh, yeah, don't make things too easy. It has jeopardy. Shirt and Tie writes, I have no major problems with the use of last-minute beam mounts or of the sudden arrival of the Daedalus to whisk our heroes away. What I do have a problem with is when established dogma within the show is overturned or just dismissed out of hand. There is one glaring and obvious example... In Ark of Truth, I was disappointed with the way the Ori were finally defeated. We had two years of building up the Ori to be just about unbeatable. Millions of followers, huge power, unstoppable, and they were finally defeated by... A box?
1: <laughs> God love Paul.
0: Thank you, Paul. Well, last but not least, let me ask you about Atlantis. We've been giving uh, SG-1, though, the, the work over here. Is Atlantis guilty of the same sorts of things? Like I said with the shield, the, the Atlantis shield, it uh, was was a big portion of that. It is
1: in a lot of ways, but Atlantis in many ways took advantage of those technologies that we had to begin with and used them very well. The this the storytelling device or crutch podcast as far as I'm concerned really has its bullseye targeted on SG-1. Mm-hmm. For me, it does. This, is, so. this was not really an issue that I had with, with Atlantis. This was my biggest issue with SG-1 in the later seasons. I loved Rob Cooper's Ori. I loved the origin. I loved their concept. Mm-hmm. I loved Vala's speech in Crusade. They will fight until we are dead or they are, a period. And it was almost completely crushed by the Ark of Truth. But before that...
0: I still enjoyed the
1: episodes. I still enjoyed what
0: Origin presented. A lot of people didn't. I loved it. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. Atlantis inherited a lot of this from SG-1. Having the ships and the ships being as powerful as they are, especially after unending when we get the Asgard core installed on the various ships and and they've got Asgard shields and weapons. The locator chips, the the last-minute save, the ease with which we can beam up to a ship and go anywhere we want... Somebody else mentioned in the discussion thread, the parallel issue that Atlantis suffers from is not so much falling back and relying on technology as it is falling back and relying on sort of science and technobabble. So because we're in an advanced ancient city and and all this tech is here, and we've got the shield and we've got the star drive and et cetera, et cetera, um, a lot of it becomes about giving McKay some dialogue or giving Zelenka some dialogue that will explain why we can do what we can do, like the wormhole yeah. drive coming out of nowhere. That's more mm-hmm. of a Technobabble explanation than it is an advanced technology crutch, in my opinion. Yeah.
1: One of the things that, that continually drew me to Battlestar Galactica was, was the scarcity of Technobabble. That's what really drew me to that show. Mm-hmm. There was maybe one a season that in the finale of Battlestar. You know, we were explaining how the black hole and the Cylon station work, you know, and where we basically allowed to jump into the, the proper parking space above the, the super Uber base ship to mm-hmm. fire on it and the delivery and extraction point, et cetera, and so on. Um, and that's what I really hope that universe will, will, will bring an, an opportunity to get uh, away yeah. from the techno babble. I doubt it considering David blues uh, character and, and a couple of the others. Um, as Brad and Rob indicated to us, you know, you're still going to have the kind of brainiac, uh, who could maybe along the lines of someone who's 28 years old and can speak 24 different languages, pick one. Um, so maybe that's just part of what Stargate is. I will get over it. (laughs) all of this stuff that we've gone over Mm -hmm. they're just little petty gripes because we have so many podcasts
0: i will get over it it's nitpicking and at the end of the day i don't think these are deus ex machinas i don't think for the most part they're crutches i think that these guys just have a certain way of telling stories and and the stargate Mm -hmm. universe is shaped this way and this is what it looks like Mm -hmm. and i love it to harken back to my childhood you know if megazord pulled out his
1: sword and killed the enemy at the end of every single episode the same footage from every single episode i wouldn't watch that's not what this is you know it's it's absolutely a trivial thing but i love the show so much and it is it is near and dear to me so much the franchise that um, those in the audience who feel the same way i just wanted to bitch in montia a little bit <laughs>
0: Listener Mail.
1: We have a few more pieces of mail from the mail bank. Some voice, some text that did not pertain to our discussion. And this first one is voice. It comes from Ron. He talks about Atlantis's cancellation. My
0: name's Ron. I live in Marion, Indiana. And we really look forward to seeing
2: Stargate Atlantis. Uh, it's one of these things that we look forward to during the week. And to see that it's going by the wayside, it just... Uh,
0: it really hurts we really look forward to seeing it and all the characters are fantastic
2: I don't know what you guys could do to get everybody back together and bring it back but boy I sure wish you would uh, I'm just an old disabled vet and don't have a whole lot to
0: count on anymore but I've really counted on seeing that Chaos Night 13 writes thank you Darren, David and Tammy I should say this was about the uh, Crazy Fan Podcast last week perceptions of sci-fi fans he says thank you darren david and tammy although i never felt ashamed of my love of sci-fi tammy you and your parenting tips for sci-fi kids made me proud of that fact i listened to this podcast completely understanding what other quote normal people think of us yeah most people go to the extreme purely for entertainment but this podcast inspired some pride in me for my love of sci-fi
1: I loved Podcast 38. I am very proud of that one that we did because I I, I read in the forum. you know, a lot of people uh, listened to that with their parents, you know, and they were all nodding along and saying, that's happened to me too. You know, it was a very human podcast that we Mm -hmm. did. Definitely listen to it. If you haven't yet, you will enjoy it.
0: It's good, especially and perhaps exclusively because of the girls.
1: It would have been, I'm sure, interesting, but it wouldn't have been as compelling as it was. Optimus Chekov writes, Do you consider the humans of Earth, the Tari, or whatever, to be essentially the ancients? You have referred to it before, which confuddled me a bit, claiming our responsibility in creating the Assurans, and I even think in the creation of Atlantis, or something along the lines of that a few times. Is this true? Me personally, I kind of uh, believe that we... Uh, are capable of becoming like the ancients. And so I hold myself, in terms of when talking about this discussion, I I hold myself to the same accountability Mm. uh, that that they did uh, or that they should have, uh, even though um, our society is not as technologically advanced as them yet.
0: I think that you're right. We are largely um, the inheritors of the ancients' legacy, and a lot of that is good and some of it is very bad. Uh, going along and waking up the Wraith in Rising is part of uh, us taking up the responsibility of the mess mm-hmm. that the Ancients made. So, no, we're not literally the Ancients. We're their quote-unquote offspring.
1: And Atlantis you know, often took on the stance of when the Ancients did this or the Ancients did that, and someone came up and said, you know, you did that. The expedition basically pointed at themselves and said, me? not my problem, and I consider it our problem. Accountability is very important.
0: Well, they left us with, with a lot of messes, and they left us with a yeah, lot of baggage. Yeah, we, we can't point our fingers at them now because they're gone. Uh, they're gone. But I think, in a lot of ways, we have exacerbated their their problems and made them our own.
1: The return, part one and two, could have been ex- easily expanded, and and in my opinion, benefited this series of Atlantis, in into a single season where the ancients came back there was a bit of an arc with them and they were forced to be held accountable for for a lot of the things that they did even though this was one very very small in many ways insignificant generation of ancients you know they could have answered a lot of questions they could have told us what what they called their puddle jumpers certainly they didn't call them that i I,
0: I thought it very interesting i wish that episode at least would have been about those ancients that would have been nice Thanks to everybody for writing in and calling in this week. We are back around to Stargate history next week. We're talking about one of my favorite, all-time favorite seasons, SG-1 Season 3. So this week's listener question, what is your favorite episode from Season 3 of SG-1? And why do you like it so much? And if you've got one, what's your least favorite? April 28th is our SG-1 Season 3 show, and then what's coming up in May?
1: May 5th is going to be another philosophical question, a very broad-based discussion. What is ascension? Aw, yeah. What is going from a material existence to an immaterial existence? What does that mean? And we have one philosopher with us and one sci-fi geek who will be uh, answering uh, that question, and that is specifically Darren and David. (laughs) We're bringing a philosopher on? You theologist, you. You're, You're more of a philosopher than I am.
0: Put on my thinking cap. I might actually have to prepare for that one. The Uncertainty Principle will not help you now, Darren. Next Generation Reference of the Week. That's uh, Descent Part 1?
1: Yep. Blessings and prayers go out to Stephen Hawking, who is currently in the hospital.
0: Oh, no, I hadn't heard that. Well, that's our May 5th show, and then on May 12th, we'll be back for another round of Open Line Night. So think about what you want to hear us talk on. Ooh, what if we bring
1: Tammy on for Open Line Night? I think that would be very, very interesting and very, very overtime stargate geeks gone wild bring her on she's never been on for an open line night before good
0: idea well that's our show for this week thanks for tuning in in this episode we talked about advanced technology in stargate is it a storytelling device or a crutch we also gave you a preview of Gateworld's interview with amanda tapping that's video it's shiny it's pretty she's pretty and it's on the site soon for links to everything we talked about today head to gateworld.net and look for the episode number 39 show notes
1: we're irritated by all of your uh, feedback and responses, but we put up with them anyway. Oh, you're not supposed to say that publicly. We'll come off of our thrones and high horses and, and clouds, and uh, we will we will read your podcast back thread uh,
0: comments. That's much appreciated, but rather than reading your brilliant thoughts, we would much rather hear your brilliant thoughts. We would
1: like to hear them on the hotline at 616-712-1647. Long distance rates apply.
0: Day or night, it doesn't ring anywhere, so that's 616 616- 712 1647 from gateworld.net. This is Darren. And this is David. And we'll see you back right here for the
2: GateWorld Podcast.